We're that group of people in every single function of this business that walks into the burning building while it's actually on fire to figure out all of the things that are wrong. Then we'll actually figure out all of those pieces in that really complex place. And then as we've sort of got it to about 75% of where we want it to be, we then walk over to the next burning building. We take these incredibly complex problems that nobody else wants to take. The point of automation is to be able to make things faster, to be able to make things simpler. So for us, we don't take that super high volume stuff, that super automated stuff, the stuff that makes it that we could do a thousand machines all identical. We deliberately go after those places where somebody hasn't been able to figure it out. So we are the ones that do it. And that mindset is... Hello and welcome to another episode of Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. I'm your host, Nick Persichilli, and in this episode... Brendan and I take a drive out to Cambridge to chat with some very interesting people at Eclipse Automation. This was a fascinating episode for many reasons. First of all, it broke the record for number of guests in a single episode. We had a total of six, plus Brendan and I. They included Jacqueline Dondera, Talent Acquisition Specialist, Brian McIntosh, Apprenticeship Program Manager, Michelle Sangster, Chief Human Resource Officer, Jules Tapalian, Talent Development Manager, Alan Medhurst, Talent Acquisition Manager, and Ryan Suits, Manufacturing Manager. On a technical note, this episode will sound a bit different from my other episodes. I normally give each guest their own microphone to ensure that the listener knows exactly who is talking at any given time. I didn't have that option this time, since I only had four channels for eight individuals. I had to improvise. So for those listening, Jacqueline, Brian, and Michelle will be heard mostly coming through the left channel, while Alan, Jules, and Ryan will be heard on the right. Why am I telling you this? Well, because I want to ensure that when people come on this podcast, the insights they provide are attributed to them. And there were a good bunch of insights in this episode. We discussed the history of Eclipse and how the prevailing company culture links back to their founder, Steve Mai. We discussed some of their success stories. We had a great discussion about filling their talent pipeline and the importance of a healthy regional manufacturing ecosystem. And we also discussed the recent purchase by Accenture. Now, for those who don't know, Accenture is an Irish-American professional services company specializing in information technology services and consulting. That last one was a topic that Brendan was particularly keen to learn about. His original question was, what would a global IT company need or want with an industrial automation company? What did they know that we didn't? Without giving too much away, it had to do with the nature of the challenges that Accenture was facing and the nature of the solutions that Eclipse could provide. Check the timestamp for the chat. It was very interesting. Today, Eclipse is a leader in industrial automation. However, even companies that are not their size and scope can learn from them. Their insights on building, developing, and fostering company culture and growing their own talent are strategies and tactics that many other companies can and should learn from. Have a listen. And we're recording now in a different place, but... Uh... We're already setting a record right now because we are speaking with the largest group of people we've ever spoken to on a single episode. We're at Eclipse today, right, Brendan? Correct. There you go. I'm going to need Brendan to come a lot closer to that microphone. <laughs> so why don't we go around the room and, uh, and all of us introduce ourselves, starting with immediately to my left. My name is Jacqueline. I am our talent acquisition specialist for all campus-related initiatives here. Good morning, I'm Brian McIntosh. I'm the Eclipse Automation Apprenticeship Program Manager. Hi there, I'm Michelle Sangster and I'm the CHRO of the Global Organization. Hi, I'm Jules Stepalian. I am the uh, Talent Development Manager at Eclipse Automation. 
I'm Alan Medhurst. I am the talent acquisition manager for all of North America. And I'm Ryan Seuss, manufacturing manager at Eclipse Automation. That's fantastic. And we also have, of course, Brendan Sweeney. So this, I mean, even before we turn the microphones on, this conversation was already quite flowing and, uh, and fantastic. I don't know. I almost don't even know where to begin. I mean, um, I'm going to throw this out to the group and uh, it might seem a little redundant of a question, but let, let's start with some basic history of Eclipse. Who, who would like to take that first one? Well, Brian, Brian has been here the longest. <laughs> he's, he's been with the history for quite a bit. Brian, how many years have you been here? I've been at Eclipse for 17 years, actually just passed. That was my anniversary was last week, I believe. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, this uh, 17 years I've been at Eclipse. So I've actually seen the progression of this company go when I started to have about 30 people to what it is now, which is about uh, it's 900 globally. And so that's where I've seen the progression. And also from the acquisitions that we have had as a company from one small building and then moving on to others and others as it's gained in size. But I believe uh, the owners, the first group, they started the business in 2000 and it's been around since then up until the acquisition of uh, Accenture last October. So tell us a little bit of, so since we have a direct line to the history here, let's, let's talk about it. What was it like day one, um, shift one for you? Uh, tell us a little bit about, about what that was like versus what it's like today. So when, when I came here, I actually, I was interviewed by Steve Mai, who was the former owner, which is probably, that was the, the, the big difference. If you want to look at it this way, now we have all these HR, uh, you know, people in place and everything else where that wasn't so much when I came here because it was a smaller company as it is now to what it was then i think we've tried to keep that small company feel which is something very different if, if that's what i can talk to i i came from some large companies where i i served my time or my apprenticeship and some very good companies but i what i can say about here is that kind of relationship building has always kind of been here it's always been part of the mainstay of this company i believe and but from Day one, uh, the jobs that I was put in charge of or, or worked on, you can see the difference in size. You know, we were going from maybe a hundred thousand dollar job to now it's like you can add a few more zeros to those. You know, like it's a substantial size projects that we're doing now. As far as at the very beginning, the diversity was there. We were still doing very diverse jobs. We were doing from automotive and some medical jobs, but now it's like it's completely diverse. If you want to come and get your product out there or your machine built by somebody, we, we don't, it doesn't matter to us who you are, we're willing to work with anybody. And that, that is another big mainstay of Eclipse. Like diversity of what we do and what products that we put out is amazing. It's well, really, really good. If I may, like, so Eclipse, Eclipse cut its teeth on challenging projects, right? So that's what Brian's speaking to you right now, right? We'll take anything. The, and it's not like we'll take anything like uh, we're desperate for work. It's typically where we've had our big growth spurts has happened because we've we've worked on projects that other like other machine builders have either no quoted because they were too challenging or too difficult or new technologies or the timelines were crazy or something like that, or uh, or they were too aggressive in terms of costing, right? Something like that. So if I remember myself ten years ago, it seemed like every other project was like. Oh, this has never been done before or like uh, or, or this is uh, like some new new we have to do something new that uh, that's got to be faster than, than than some other process or whatnot right so 
I mean, we still have that appetite today, right? That that came a lot from our founders, um, but it's been ingrained, I think, in the people and the and into the work that we do now, right? Tell me a little bit about how the technology has evolved from way back then to what's happening now. Like, um, I'm I'm a bit of a a bit of a nerd in that regard. So, I mean, geek out with me a bit. What kind of stuff was happening then versus now? Well, I'll, I'll tell you because I want to pass this over to Ryan because this is definitely going to be in Ryan's wheelhouse more than mine. When I first started here, we had a machine shop that had uh, what you call just one, one size, what medium, small mill, right? Uh, and now I'm going to pass this over to Ryan, and he'll tell you about how that technology's changed, just from the manufacturing uh, point of view, and then we can talk like these guys can talk about the other one. Yeah, so I mean, I, I've been here just over ten years, and I can say that uh, the technology has has tremendously exceeded what our expectations would have been. We, when I came in, we had three CNC machines, a very, very manual process, um, not very structured. And throughout the years, bringing in automated probing systems, five axis machining centers, 3D printers, you know, the latest cutting edge technology that you'd see on TV, it's, we're practically using it on, in our daily jobs. It's, it's amazing. And, and from the machines perspective, like the actual equipment that we sell, like. The evolution that I've seen, uh, personally, like I, I'm just going back 10 years or so. So the evolution that I've seen is data. So, and that you know, probably leads into uh, why we're here where we are today, but it's been getting more like, and I'm coming by the way, from the electrical engineering controls engineering side of things, right? That's my background. Um, so I've a bit, bit of a subjective view on this, <laughs> but data has t totally transformed automation. I think throughout the industry, Machines are getting smarter, making decisions on the ground uh, to try to increase yields for customers, improve throughput, reduce uh, the workload of operators, um, uh, and uh, and provide like provide input for decision making on the factory floor, right? So that they can so operations on a factory can make changes. And when I talk about those projects that other like the projects that we cut our teeth on uh, earlier, those are the type of projects. Um, that propelled us where it was, we had to gather more data, do it faster on the fly. Uh, we had to, um, we had to do things that were, you know, not possible with a, with a robot. So we built our own software that would integrate with that robot and make the decisions and pass that information along to the robot, things like that. So, I mean, an integrator does that, you know, an integrator like us would normally do that anyways, take other different technologies, put them together to make something that's greater than some of its parts. But I obviously think we do it better. So on the discussion of automation, Industry 4.0, we know it's a game changer. We know it's opened the doors for productivity and manufacturing that have never been opened before. But, and Brendan can probably articulate this a little bit better than I can, uh, there's been differences in the level and speed of uptake within the industry. Did I say that correctly, Brendan? Do you think? Different industries have adopted technology at different rates. Different countries have adopted technology at different rates. Is this accurate in your opinion or what, what's your take on it? Uh, I, I, I would agree with you. The, uh, you know, the nuclear, nuclear industry, for example, they've, they haven't adapted it nearly as quick as, as some of the other industries like medical um, and automotive. So yeah, I would support that. So how often, so I, it, it, I get the feeling that Eclipse can work with anyone to do pretty much anything. How often do customers come to you and know exactly what they want to do? 
Well, Did I hit a nerve? <laughs> so you, you heard there's some slight laughing there going on, but it, it's just the point is they have an idea what they want, but it's actually putting it into action. And that's why they're coming to us because we're the experts on that. So we want to deliver their, a solution for them because that's what we say what we are. We are solution providers. So amongst all the disciplines that we have from somebody in sales to somebody in marketing, to our controls engineering group, to our mechanical design group. We have all those, and then we have the likes of Ryan and his team from manufacturing. So we are the one-stop shop. You come and see us, you come with a, a, a question or a problem, and we will be the solution providers for you. So we, we start our projects um, with a scope of work, of course, right? And and uh, that's that's, usually built up by the customer coming over and saying, hey, we need to make this part and this is how we think we need to make it and whatnot, right? And these, these are the number of operators that we can run, uh, that, that, that we can afford to utilize on this production line and you know all the various criteria and how many parts they need to make per year and all that. So we work with them on providing them the solution and we start with that scope of work. However, through the evolution of a machine, of a, a build of equipment, a production line, a factory, whatever it may be, um, this is the first time something like this is being built, right? It's the latest gadget, the latest, uh, you know, whatever. Um, so that's never been that's never been put in production before. So where we find a lot of success is like we have two of our core values are entrepreneurship and collaboration, right? And we ask all of our employees to embody that. So what people will sometimes be surprised by if they were to walk our shop floors is that our shop floor employees are working side by side with the engineers with the project managers with the customers on trying to find the best solution because we're very much aligned in success if our if if our customer is not successful we're not going to be successful because you know we have to service those machines we have to make sure they're running right the, uh, we have to make sure they have uptime all that stuff um, so at all levels of the organization, we're constantly adapting and ensuring that the customer is gonna be successful. And that often involves, like, I mean, it, it, that's why we all laughed. It's like the, the, the machine never ends up exactly the way you envisioned it on day one. Imagine trying to like uh, take out a napkin and, and draw something and say, I'm gonna make this, right? And not make any revisions to it, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it, it never works that way, but we have all the brightest minds obviously working towards it with all their experience that the end result is in principle, what they wanted with adaptions along the way. So one of the things that um, we've actually done from an employment branding perspective is we've actually branded that we're the know-how people. And the entire point and purpose of us branding ourselves in that way is that we as an organization to what everybody else has said, we're that group of people in every single function of this business that literally walks in like I, I oftentimes say we're that, that group that walks into the burning building while it's actually on fire to actually figure out all of the things that are wrong, then we'll actually figure out all of those pieces in that really complex place. And then as we've sort of got it to about 75% of where we want it to be, we then walk over to the next burning building and then we figure that piece out as well. So we take these incredibly complex problems that nobody else wants to take. You know, the reality is, is that many of our competitors and many of the people that are actually in this industry, the point of automation is to be able to make things faster, to be able to make things simpler. So for us, we don't take that super high volume stuff, that super automated stuff, the stuff that makes it that we could do a thousand, you know, a thousand machines, you know, all identical. We deliberately go after those places where somebody hasn't been able to figure it out. So we are the ones that do it. And that mindset is pervasive in every single function in this business. What 
allows Eclipse to do that and not other automation shops? What's the strength behind what the work you're doing here? So I can talk from my experience. That has actually come from the founders. So all of our founders are people who have actually come from, essentially, if you want to say, the shop floor. They actually were all tradespeople. I'm not saying that that's the way it has to be, but that's part of the magic sauce of here. Our owners uh, were people that actually were tradespeople in this environment before, and this is what maybe the difference is, is the change. They allow people to think, and that's what we always tell the apprentices as well. This is what separates tradespeople, and I'll, I'll pump tradespeople now because that's, that's, that's my job. And uh, basically what we wanna do is we want people to engage not just their hands, but their heads, right? And again, that's why we use the term like know-how people or solution providers. You can't just show up to work and like just be a drone, right? You need to show up, you need to think, you need to be able to act. And you know what? People will make mistakes and people will have failures, but that, as long as you learn from those failures, that's how you can move on. I think that's exactly how it is. It, just like what uh, Jules was saying, you could start off with some rudimentary drawing, but at the end of the day, it's not gonna be that. You're gonna have additions to that, or you're gonna actually explain to people, we can't do this this way, but this is what we can provide for you. All that thinking is, and again, we wanna ingrain that into our employees, and I think we've done a very good job of that over the years. I think we've also got a pervasive mindset here. Uh, you know, I think there's, you know, I, I know who all of our competitors are. I know them really well and I know what all their businesses are. I think a main differentiator for Eclipse um, is this pervasive mindset of true entrepreneurship. Um, to Brian's point, we really do expect our people to think. We don't believe we have the answers. There's not a lot of ego in this business. You know, there's a lot of passion, there's a lot of loyalty, there's a lot of desire to do the right things for each other, for our business, for our customers, and to do really, really cool work. So people tend to join our organization because they don't wanna do that stuff where they sort of plug their brains in every day. They wanna come in and do that really tough stuff. You could speak to anybody in our business. You could walk on our shop floor, you could walk into any one of our offices, and every single one of them could speak very eloquently about about who we are as a business and why we are what we are. And a lot of that comes from, you know, our main founder, you know, Steve Mai is, he's a, he's a genius in the space. I've never seen anybody who has an ability to be able to see white spaces before and be able to then jump in and be able to take advantage of those white spaces. So for us as an organization, we have a nimbleness that a lot of our competitors don't have. We have a mind space and there is nobody in this business who can't come up with the solution or weigh in on a problem or an issue. And then we're fast. You know, we just, Steve's always said, just jump in, do whatever you need to do. And I think that pervasive mindset is one of the big differentiators between, between us and our competitors. Like uh, anecdotally, one of the things that Steve told me uh, back in the day, a few years ago, when, when I was working in our Southeast office, and this kind of speaks to how um, like we're not risk adverse. He's not gonna be upset that uh, you know you tried some, something didn't work so you tried something else and you spent a bunch of money and it didn't work again so you tried something else again right he's not gonna be upset about that what he's gonna be upset about is if you face a problem and you don't do anything and you don't solve it right uh, so he he's not shy about spending the money as long as we're gonna get to a solution and we're gonna deliver and what then like as a founder again now we're, we're that secret sauce that I think has been ingrained on a lot of the people that are at Eclipse 
But uh, as a founder, what he was uh, telling us is essentially there's value in our brand and in what we deliver, and that's important. And we need to make sure we deliver that on every project. Uh, as the company grows, as the headcount grows over time, um, how do you, and maybe an HR question, maybe not, um, how do you design work in a manner that keeps people engaged, that keeps people's brains locked in? We just keep taking bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more complex projects. And that's what keeps our people busy, what would you say? Yeah, I think, I think the other piece of that puzzle is we, we pride ourselves in, in cross-training. I mean, Brian's heading up a program for, for our apprentices that, that doesn't fall within the norm for an apprenticeship program. There's the guidelines that the government offers, and then there's the Eclipse apprenticeship program, which is more in-depth, gets us, gets us our employees um, cross-training across multiple um, departments so they're not stuck in in their specific department if you're a tool maker an MTBI we'll send you to the fabrication shop and teach you how to weld we'll send you to the machine shop and teach you how to machine we will get you engaged on what a basic panel build looks like that that there keeps the young minds engaged right because in a in a in an era where they expect immediate response you know they want five internet they don't want dial-up they want the, the, the biggest, the best now. We, we, have to, we have to offer that. And part of that is engaging them at a level that connects with them. I'm impressed you know what dial-up is. Yeah. <laughs> I've used it. So, so just saying that is like our, our vision for our, our apprentices within the apprenticeship program at Eclipse. Uh, and again, Eclipse, is, this is just not a local. This is a global commitment as well what we're looking at is we want to create progressive teams in the future so we don't want to be so siloed whereas some other companies that's that, that are competitors that's very much where they are and we want to look at being leaders we want to be at, you know within this industry we want to be the champions for looking forward and part of that is to look at our teams and how do we take our team members and make them more progressive how do we actually engage them how do we actually grow them not just as like individuals through some of the other initiatives but through the trades themselves how do we expand upon their knowledge and their skill levels and then that makes them for our company far more uh you know capable of actually moving them around wherever we need them to go to actually help out and also for them it means they're more engaged the, exactly what Ryan's saying is that the fact is, is that if you can engage people, they want to show up. We don't want this to be work. We want this to be something other than work. If you have a job where it's not a job anymore, then you have found happiness, right? So, I mean, that may be a naive way to think, but at the end of the day, if you can bring that to your people, then that is the best way to have your company grow. After everything I've just heard right now, how Jacqueline and I met makes a lot more sense. Jacqueline, do you want to maybe um, tell us a little bit about how you and I first came to meet and where? We met at Dreamer Day in Toronto, which was the first time Eclipse Automation attended. We also sponsored the event. As soon as we found it, we were super excited. The only thing is we wish we found it sooner. Uh, the day was a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad we got to meet and have a conversation. I was worried we weren't with how busy it was. 
Um, but the opportunity to attend and showcase the company was certainly memorable and something that we'll do every year that we can. And we'll also attend their smaller events. I know that the one in Toronto is really the big show. Jules was there as well. It was a lot of fun for Jules. <laughs> um, we had the best seat there. Uh, but being involved on a local level is something that Eclipse is very familiar with and branching out further out and towards the GTA as we're sort of on the edge of the GTA, I would say, um, is very important for us to expand. So let's talk about the talent pipeline because that is a pretty common issue amongst manufacturers and I'm, I'm seeing some looks already. Uh, who would like to comment on that? How, how do you guys fill the talent pipeline? So a key piece of our strategy is focusing on that what I call the emerging talent. So we've talked a lot about emerging talent from a trades point of view today, um, but Jacqueline and I focus a lot on it as a whole for our company, right? So Brian was talking a little bit earlier about how we bring in our trades people and they get to kind of experience different aspects of what Eclipse does. We do that often with our co-op programs as well. So we'll have folks come in as a mechanical engineer, for example, and then the next term they'll come back and they'll do applications engineering. So that's a big piece of our focus right now is how do we bring in those excited young minds to help us kind of grow our future talent here. And where do you go fishing for that? Because, I mean, <laughs> I, I, actually, you know what, better, let me pull back on that question. Let me ask you, how long has it taken to get this sort of strategy in place? Like, is this like a, a living strategy, a, 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 you know, a working strategy? Like, how, how, did, how did you guys come up with that? So, um, I joined the company actually two years ago yesterday. So it feels like it, it feels like it's been twenty years, but applause, apparently, applause. It's, thank yeah. you. It's actually only been two. On your two-year anniversary, you get to come on a podcast. I, so that's a new <laughs> I mean, the coolest thing ever, right? What right else passage. Can you say? So when I actually joined the company, I joined the company actually to scale it. So the the entire point and purpose of me showing up when I did was that they had recognized that the company that they had been for almost twenty years was not the company that they needed to be going forward into the future. So I go in, I come and take a look, I look at the market, I look at the industry, I look at all of the different pieces. And one of the things that I learned fairly quickly was that there was an extreme amount of roles within um, the automation industry as a whole. The industry itself will always grow. And access to people is one of the reasons why we're actually going to consistently need to actually grow this industry. So one of the things I also found was that the amount of people going into automation-related careers was actually declining because the automation industry as a whole hasn't done a great job of being able to educate people on what these types of roles are. We haven't done a really great job of being able to actually show people how cool the work actually is. They think it's manufacturing and gaming and Googles and all of those sorts of things look a whole lot sexier than automation until people actually see what the business looks like. So we decided that we were going to pull together a strategy that we call our make versus buy strategy. So we knew full well that for the sheer volume of people we were gonna to need to be able to double or triple the size of our business, we were never gonna be able to get the skilled automation talent we were gonna need. So we've got a solid, a solid strategy on the talent acquisition side that Jacqueline and Alan have put in place. We've also got a really solid career development program that Brian and Ryan and Jules are all putting in place in different, in different ways to be able to help us to be able to 
make our own talent, build it the way that we think that we need it to be, as well as being able to open up new talent, you know, talent pathways through different programs with Conestoga College, with different immigration programs, with different women in STEM programs and things like the Dreamer event and other programs like that, that will give us that two-pronged approach. So we oftentimes say, and Alan's the guy who actually coined this phrase, we're actually not an automation company, we're a people company that does automation. Because our ability to execute the jobs and the scale of growth that we need is predicated on our access to people. Yeah. 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 Um, that is, that's, that's one of the main, we've noticed that too. Business can do a lot more because these jobs, I mean, I've, Brendan and I have walked on the shop floors. We've seen the kind of work that gets done. It's fascinating. It's fun. It's challenging. It's interesting. What more do you think industry could do to better educate the public and youth? Do you think? <laughs> yes. So, so because of the what we have done, we have actually starting to work closely more with the the high schools and with Jacqueline as the campus with the the colleges and the universities. At that point, the campus, like the colleges and the universities, those people already have an idea where they're going. I think where we're failing on this is more likely the the, the middle schools or the junior schools. Like we need to get more into the youth, like even into the high schools, we're actually doing some, you know, some initiatives with them, bringing them to Eclipse, giving them tours, giving them tours to their, their co-op counselors, to their guidance counselors, uh, their shop classes or shop teachers, and just like promoting the whole idea of like skilled trades. But I mean, fortunately for us, we can promote Eclipse while we're doing that. And every occupation, if you look at our company, we're actually demonstrating that you don't have to look at this room itself. Look at the professionals you have in here. You have tradespeople in here, you have HR people, and even within HR. I've just joined HR and I didn't realize there's so many different facets to that as well. I think we do a very, and this is maybe a very, my opinion, which it is. That's what we're here but for. It's like, I, I think we could do a better job of explaining to the youth what occupations are what can they do in the future what suits them better and i think that's not what's happening and hopefully companies like ours doing some of the initiatives we do we can bring that to these students and and move them and give them a, a better future from the outside perspective here they're targeting universities they're targeting degrees uh and, and uh, th that are maybe have more ambiguous career paths uh and whatnot or more generalized career paths when Right under our nose here, skilled trades specifically, also college like uh, you know college type diplomas, advanced diplomas like electromechanical engineering. Uh, uh, you know that's that's what I went through. Offer direct paths to an industry that in this region, Cambridge, Kitchener, Waterloo is the automation hub of North America. Right, uh, in this region is extremely in demand, and and will get you a, land you an awesome job. The other thing too is that a lot of these companies are very entrepreneurial in nature. We build machines, we build, we, we invent something new every day, and therefore we're also not shy about building our people, right? Uh, I, I can tell you, for, like, I started off in engineering, and I'm heading globally talent development now. Ryan and Brian are both skilled tradespeople, and they're running their own departments. Our founder was a tradesperson, right? And then he built his company. It's very common, at least within Eclipse, and I believe within our industry, that people are able to grow and develop and really take their career where they want to take it. So I, th I think the industry as a whole, you know, to Jules's point, I think that 
you know, it's, it's very inwardly focused because it is very entrepreneurial. You know, most of the people who've started these, these companies, they've done an exceptionally good job of building really strong companies, but they don't necessarily think about building organizations. They don't think about building, building the whole capacity of, of an industry. Um, so they're insular and they're, in, they're inwardly focused because they're interested in the solving of the problems and the complexity of the, the technology. You know, we've got some of the strongest engineers I've ever seen, and I've worked in a bunch of different industries. We've got some of the best trades I have ever seen. Um, and, you know, I've worked in a lot of industries. So one of the things I think that the automation industry as a whole is missing is we just haven't done a good job in actually pulling together a PR campaign. We haven't actually shown people what we're doing, which is one of the things that I think that this industry and our company specifically looks at it very differently than others. You see a lot of the other automation companies around and they sponsor hospitals and you know they get community focused and they do a lot of those sorts of wonderful things. But what our team is doing is we are actually partnering with students, right? We are partnering with industries. We are partnering with schools at the high school level, at the college level, at the university level. You know, Jacqueline and, and her group and the, the work that she's doing is she is getting out and reaching students when they're at the point of decision making. You know, Ryan and Brian are working with their people both at the, the apprenticeship level as well as within developed careers to be able to really get out there. Alan's team has done an exceptional job of being able to find new pathways to access to people that we've never looked at before. And Jules's team is doing an amazing job of being able to take in some junior talent or some intermediate level talent from other industries and showing them what we do. So we're starting to get ourselves out in a way that isn't just, hey, look at us. It's, hey, look at us and come and join us and let us show you the work that we do. And when people walk in our doors, when people walk our floors, when people actually speak to our engineers, they're completely taken aback by the quality and coolness of the work that they get to do when they come here. It's that that actually begins to spread a very different word on what careers on automation can look like. So let's talk about some finished products that you guys are really proud of. What are some of the most recent or not so recent sort of like success stories that you can share with us? That we can share. It's <laughs> <laughs> the so we can share part that's a bit hard. Ah. So I, I can talk about uh, the medical job. And to me, it was one of the first medical jobs that I've done. So it was a whole new learning experience for me, like all the surface finishes. Uh, and we can get into like some really technical nonsense about all that. But at the end of the day, it was an impressive because we actually had to research and understand that, you know, there's some polishing that we can do that we've never done before. We're using certain materials, but the product itself was all about how they could advance and make it better for a patient to put stents in or put patches on people's hearts. So what it was is the product is actually what it goes through the veins and this is where they can deliver cameras or patches. And it's actually affected my family because essentially there's what two, my niece and my brother-in-law both had holes in their hearts and it's a, you know, a hereditary thing and both of them have patches, both of them had this procedure done. So we can see some of the devices that we make actually are real. Like they, we can, there's a tactile life bit to it, right? So, and that's the other thing, if we can, that, that kind of success, when we do tours and we can talk, maybe I can't talk about some of the products, but we can 
you know, we can talk about them to when we visit, when people visit and say, hey, is this affected by some of your family with diabetics? Because we've done products that actually will help make their life better, right? Or at least identify that maybe they have a health issue. So that's on some of it. And then if we want to talk about the green technology, we have projects that one of the largest projects that Clips has ever done, and it's in the process right now. So it's not finished, but it's like, I'm gonna date myself. Uh, there was a show when my kids were small, How's It Made? And I would think that- Love that show. That this is definitely, should be a main line on that show because it's such an impressive project. What it is, is actually for the environment. It's for us that the government is, is promised to remove nuclear hazardous waste from the ground. And we were actually producing equipment along with those agencies to make this happen. Again, so we're talking about people's health, our environment, uh, that kind of cutting edge technology that we've alluded to before. We're on the cusp of that on some of the equipment we do. So it's like, yeah, there's, there's tons of things. And then, you know, even different welding procedures that we've come up with, or we've actually done for automotive as well. Yeah, I think the, like, I'll say, uh, in terms of like really cool projects, like we've done all sorts of different industries. Like we've made from golf balls to electric vehicle parts to uh, nuclear reactor refurbishing uh, equipment, nuclear waste recovery equipment. We've built mining vehicles. Like these are things that people don't realize, like custom made mining vehicles, uh, you know, where the tire is taller than a person, right? Things like that, right? So we've done all that, but I can't speak very specifically about a, a homegrown project I'm pretty proud of. Like we uh, made masks during the, uh, the pandemic and we funded that ourselves. Uh, we got, we ended up getting grant money from the government as well. At, you know, after the project kicked off, of course, and we were well into it. Um, but that was that was a direct response from our founder who, you know, we were looking around and seeing how can we help? What can we do? We're seeing a lot of people doing things here and there, but we're, we're not seeing really that manufacturing in Canada for for masks at a time and, and really helping our, our hospitals. And, and also, by the way, um, ventilators, not only masks, we also made ventilators. So we partnered up with Cambridge Memorial Hospital. We, uh, we got in with local doctors and healthcare workers. We designed, custom designed a mask product, and then we built a machine to make that mask product. And we didn't only build one, uh, I think we had like 13 in the end or something like that. And, uh, and uh, you know, we, we filled production, supplied hospitals, supplied firefighting uh, stations or fire stations, supplied local businesses. We donated millions of masks to the community for free. Um, and we ended that, like when the pandemic like, all wrapped up and supply chain went back to normal, we ended it with a $20 million contract for local uh, hospitals. And, and, and by the way, that was uh, not like, we went into that saying, what can we do? And, and I remember I was in those conversations. It was a really, like if we can put ourselves back at that time, it was a very difficult, uncertain time. We didn't know the direction of the business. I remember our founder gave everybody a bonus at the time to kind of help with the pandemic relief, right? Uh, if you, I don't know if you guys remember that. That was, and it was kind of a crazy, crazy time. Everybody didn't know what was gonna happen, right? With jobs and uncertainties, that was one way of kind of taking care of everybody. The other way is, well, yeah, work is a little bit weird at this time. Like it did slow down for us for a few months until things really picked up in a big way in the medical industry. But in those few months, we said, okay, we're gonna put millions of dollars of our own money, keeping our people busy at the same time, 
building something for our community that'll help Canadians, right? And then, and of course, we got NIOSH certification, we got ASTM certification, we got Health Canada certification. This is a real product, right? You share at Eclipse half of your postal code with the largest vehicle assembly facility in the country, with the largest uh, nuclear reactor component manufacturing facility in the country, and I mean, within striking distance of the Northwestern GTA, which is, you know, the, the uh, by our calculation, the most dense and diverse manufacturing ecosystem in North America, by some measures. What kind of being located here in Cambridge, six different addresses on Thompson Drive, is it now? Is it, but um, the, the, your location here in Cambridge, in the, in the middle of it all, what kind of advantage does that provide? What kind of benefits does that provide to Eclipse? I, it's it spurred our growth. Like I mean, it, it definitely encouraged our growth. Our you know, we started off as a local company. We we built relationships locally with a bunch of manufacturers in this region on this quarter. To your point, between Windsor and Toronto, I think I think the uh, the Windsor Bridge is the most traveled bridge, and that's because a lot of vehicle manu- like the reason is that a lot of trucks travel that bridge to transport parts that are either manufactured in Canada going into the U.S. or vice versa, right? So. Long story short, yes, it, it has been an advantage. We did build our reputation with a lot of local, I, I call them local businesses, they're multi-billion dollar businesses, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're, uh, they have a lot of local presence uh, here, right? Um, and like in the Guelph region and, uh, and uh, you know, within Cambridge and all, all over, right? And we've, they've enabled our growth, so we're definitely very grateful for that. Yeah, and now of course, like we we don't only service that. Of course, we we service globally, but there's still a lot of local work. Yeah. So I would add to that too is that uh, tradespeople. This is definitely uh, probably one place where you could find a lot of like certified tradesmen that have been uh, into this kind of industry. So there's lots like Ryan and I right there. We're, we're both tool and die makers, right? So there's an awful lot of tool makers that are in this area because it was a far fairly large part of the industry at one point and then obviously there was a recession and that kind of moved away but we can take it and we can transfer our skill sets into automation quite easily jigs and fixtures so at the end of the day the surplus at one time it's not anymore now it's like we have to you know like we go back to michelle we start growing our own but there's that appetite here for skilled trades as well And in terms of our students, we are a live, love, local company, I like to call us. And I really appreciate how much Steve himself has really given back to the community. He is from Conestoga College, one of the best Ontario colleges available. And then we're also right next door to University of Waterloo, Wilfrid Laurier, not far from us is Western, Fanshawe, McMaster, Mohawk, and it just continues on. Uh, being right off the 401 is super convenient and the GTA is expanding whether you believe it or not it feels like we are a part of it sometimes um, so I think the location is great absolutely great if, if the go bus makes it out your way you might be part of the GTA right? <laughs> absolutely. yeah so you guys recently went through some business where I think uh, Brendan you I think you characterize it a lot better than I do I think you have some questions with that regard. You have a new partnership with Accenture. There you go. Tell us a bit about that. What would you like to know? Everything. Everything. Um, (laughs) I mean, was it, uh, how did it come about? What was, uh, I mean, this is, this is a really interesting mix of an automation company and an IT company. 
It's crazy, isn't it? What do you know that we didn't? What did they know about automation that others didn't? Um, uh, what does this mean going forward? Because it's, if it's anything, it's exciting and fascinating. So we think it's extremely exciting. We also appreciate that to the market, it's weird. And to be honest, to us, sometimes it also feels a bit weird. But the reality is, is that Accenture actually isn't an IT company. Accenture was an IT company, but Accenture is um, a very, very large organization that plays in just about every space you could possibly imagine. So about a year or so ago, Accenture took what they felt was their technology division and they broke it off into something that they called Industry X. What they found was, is that as, as they were speaking with many of their clients, you know, look, clients were coming to them for everything. They were coming for, to them for large-scale IT automation projects. They were coming to them for factory of the future-related projects. They had, you know, manufacturing, engineering consultants all over the place. And there was a lot of business that was being done. But the one thing that they had found was that everybody was coming to them asking for that one, what they called a jigsaw piece. You know, what, that one piece in the middle that was going to connect all of the different practice areas that they had on the industry X side of the business, which is their technology side of the business. So Accenture's been operating in the manufacturing space for years. People who work with them understand that, but the generalized public generally doesn't. So they came to us, they approached us in March of last year, came to us and said, we're looking for an automation company of effectively our size, North American based. We were pretty much the only game in the market at the time of that same size. They came to us and told us that what they were looking for was they were looking for us to be the jigsaw piece that would actually help to connect many of the other manufacturing consulting related projects that they were doing. They had a ton of competency in the whole idea of what industry 4.0 is. They had a ton of competency and interest from their client base on what factories of the future might look like, everything from brownfield sites to greenfield sites and everything in between. And that's why they approached us. So when they came to us, we kind of sat back and went, hmm, interesting. They looked at us after they had met us and said, wow, you guys actually make things. That's different than what we anticipated. And we are their first acquisition of a company that actually physically makes end-to-end -end solutions. And what have you learned over the past year about well, we actually closed on, so the deal itself closed on August 29th of 2022. So during the period of diligence, it was very uh, hardy to say the least. And we've actually just begun our integration journey. So what we've learned thus far, actually, interestingly enough, is that Accenture has um, a whole bunch of automation technology experience peppered throughout its business. So there's been many, many people that have actually contacted us that have found out, wow, you guys showed up, that's amazing, how can I partner with you? Many of the clients, our clients and their clients have been extremely excited about what this partnership could look like. Um, and at this point, I would say that there's a few other acquisitions that they've made um, close to our space, you know, not quite at the same scale, definitely not making the things that we're making, but those companies, we're all now coming together and finding our way to see what, you know, the new world of automation at Accenture could, re could really look like. As for the next steps of the journey, what are you most excited about? I think that the one thing that Accenture has learned as well as what we have learned is the depth of the experience that our business has in the automation space is something that I think they thought they knew 
but they have definitely been able to see since they've actually engaged with us. So, you know, I would say that what, you know, what do I think I'm the most excited about? I'm the most excited to see how it all comes together. You know, I'm really excited about seeing how similar we are in many different ways in the way that we approach our business. I'm excited by some of the other acquisitions that are close to us that we're starting to get to know. You know, Ryan's done some work with one of their other acquisitions that they've done in Brazil. You know, we're doing, we have, there's another acquisition that's fairly close to us in Oakville. So we're all being able to find that space where we can actually find that sweet spot. The excitement of it, I think, is one of the things that really is something that's worth looking forward to. And the places where the clients themselves are beginning to start to get a sense of what we're doing and why, and they're starting to engage with the Accenture side of the business and through that side to us to be able to start driving our business differently. So we know we're getting much larger projects. We're getting access to things we've never been able to do before. That and partnering with other different competencies just takes the offering that we have and makes it so much larger. So that ability to be able to bring those really cool projects, to be able to keep our people super engaged, the opportunity to be able to widen the scope of experience um, and engagement for our people, those are probably the things that are the most exciting to me. So there have been a few signaling words that I've heard over the course of this interview that Sorry, podcast, not interview. I was very clear at the beginning. Um, there's a few key phrases. Um, you don't like making one-size-fits-all solutions, right? You don't like necessarily making just, you know, off the show. You guys enjoy the, the challenge of the, you enjoy the challenge of finding a solution, finding unique solutions. Is there a job that's too small? Uh, no. I'll, I'll speak that out right now. Uh, the reason is a lot of our projects are uh, are actually they start off small and they turn into behemoths. You know, uh, I can think back just the past few years. Um, uh, you know, we call them anchor projects when a project becomes a huge, big like you know takes like 20, 25 percent of our workforce. Right? These are projects that you know they level off workloads and things like that, and and, and you know they're they're really good and it's a, it's a big part of the portfolio. Those anchor projects almost always start off as small proof of principles. Uh, you know, the customer approaches you for a $50,000 opportunity. They kind of uh, want to see how is it going to work? Is it going to be, uh, you know, is it going to be reliable? Uh, you know, just trying to, maybe they're, maybe they're going into market as well. Like some of our biggest customers right now are very recognizable brands. When we engaged with them years ago, uh, you know, there were emerging companies uh, that were not being respected in the industry, right? So, the, and these are the these are the folks where I'm saying, like, you know, we would start at a fifty thousand dollar, two hundred thousand dollar, something like that, right? Project, and uh, it, we end with fifty million dollar contracts with that customer on that same product line. Wow. So it's not a it, it's not a too small situation. We don't we don't judge it that way. We, we look at the customer, we look at the, uh, you know, w what are the needs of the business? Is this something that Eclipse is best suited to, uh, to meet the needs of this customer and whatnot? And then we go from there. So one of the things that's interesting actually is that they were always positioned to me, the small projects were always positioned as relationship builders. So the reality is, is that there isn't a project that's too small. The cool thing about it is, is that when we actually spoke to Accenture and talked about the possibility of acquisition, it was that whole concept of relationship building with customers that actually looked at us from a value stream perspective that, that made it a wonderful match because they very much look at all of their projects 
and all of their customers in terms of the relationships that they can build and the problems that they can solve. For us, it's exactly the same thing. So sometimes those really small projects are nothing more than that, that relationship builder that allows us to penetrate a new market, penetrate a new customer, penetrate a new technology. And to Jules's point, that technology, those projects always end up becoming something much, much, much larger, which makes it a perfect match with the value stream of how Accenture actually builds their business as well. How hard is a how hard of a sales quote I'm quote air quotes sales pitch is it to say oh look you're a company and you're doing this like this you could be doing it better how hard of a sales pitch is that so anecdotally um, you know what we hear from our sales teams and and frankly what we've actually heard from our industry X um, customer leads is that it's not hard at all you know these these people do understand what they need to do they you know they do understand what their plants need to look like they need to they understand what what a smart manufacturing facility might might look like and there's a lot of aspirational interest in many of the projects that we actually work on so you know i think that the challenging part is less about selling them on the idea of automation and more figuring out what the real requirements of an actual project might look like you know, we talked earlier a little bit about the fact that a project as we start it, we might think it's gonna be one thing, but once we've actually scoped the entire experience out, it becomes something vastly different. And I think that's more of the challenge is how do you how do you stay within scope? How do you actually solve the problems that need to be solved without taking it significantly farther than it needs to go or a company is ready for it to go? But that selling of automation, I don't think it's 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 that difficult at all. And given that that much of automation is also now becoming driven by the fact that there is there really is a um, a lack of of qualified people to do many of the jobs that need to be done. You know, we may be going through what appears to be the beginnings of an economic recession, but what we do know is that the manufacture of of products it's increasing year over year over year, and there's so much of a backlog that we need. We need to do things faster. We need to do things better. We need to do things smarter. And there will never be enough people to actually execute on the projects that many companies are actually doing. So automation becomes a necessity. It's, it's how you actually keep everything within scope that's the problem. If you're going into a facility and they don't have any automation, it's fully manual assembly, you can't sell them the big data machine, right? You can't have all the more sophisticated robotics that require a highly skilled workforce to to manage and, and get the most out of it. So we need to understand where, where the customer is at. We help them on that journey, right? We we do pre-automation services where, where uh, we assess their needs, their capabilities and whatnot, and, uh, and we build a scope of work based on that. This has been an excellent conversation. Thank you so much for spending basically an hour on the microphones with us. I'm sure we could probably extend this for another hour, but I've I've seen how busy you guys are here. So thank you very much for inviting us in today and for chatting with us. 